You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. the latest comparables on how much medical practices are going for these days. Zero. They're all takeovers, really. They're basically unhappy shotgun weddings. There are no contractual guarantees when you're bought when or when forced into this factory medicine sick care sausage grinder. Your autonomy will be zero. That's one guarantee. And this only accentuates burnout, which is another guarantee. And it will measurably increase. The third guarantee. And primary care has the highest rate of burnout. We know that. Referrals are going to be forced into the expensive transaction care machine. And Big's doing all this buying control, 75% of all referrals into hospitals because they're all about heads and beds, not outcomes. And I'll bet you didn't know that 70% of all urgent care were also owned by the Bigs. Errors are going to skyrocket, another guarantee. Same with HAIs, hospital-acquired infections, overtesting, overutilization of surgery, overuse of dumb labs no one needs or no one can use to, that's of any benefit except in a lawsuit. And costs will 2X to 4X to infinity X for the patient and the employer making the payments. So to the patient who will forever be referred to as a head in a bed, as a condition, not as a human being, this was, is what fuels the factory medicine dehumanizing care machine. Factory medicine pressures just increased for your staff when you sold. Welcome to the coal mine of 2021, where you literally get white lung. I live in a future where we all win, and you're going to meet my friends and one new friend today who lives the same. This movement has no name, and it has no leader. It's direct contracted care between employers and all the elements of health care, but it filters through primary care in the case of our guest today. So surgery, primary care, labs, imaging, meds, all sort filter through this uh, company. And the second element is that the future is digital first care. So with great pleasure, I introduce to you a national leader in the direct primary care movement, but I don't think he'd like to be called that. Jamie Doucette serves as president of Premise Health. Premise is the largest in the nation in direct primary care. And prior to joining Premise Health, he served as a leader for Paladina, which is the second largest based in Denver, which is a DeVita subsidiary, which I didn't know that. Prior to Paladina, Doucette was CEO and founder of Modern Med, a health services company providing concierge direct primary care to employer base. So he is more than eminently qualified. You're in 48 states, Jamie? 45 states in Guam, Ron. Okay. Well, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. I'm, I'm going to ask you a few questions about, are your doctors under any of these pressures I just described, which would be burnout, forcing referrals? Uh, any of that? Great question, Ron. Uh, quite honestly, I think at this point in a global pandemic, everybody's feeling a measure of, of stress and exhaustion uh, and anxiety, uh, but would suggest that our care delivery model, kind of the professional satisfaction of our providers, uh, is, is not a result of, of the broken system, as, as you elucidated earlier. Uh, so, so burnout potentially from pandemic, but 
Definitely not from care delivery model. In terms of forced referrals, the short answer is absolutely not. Uh, you know, premise our providers and not just our physicians and advanced practice providers, but but all of our providers, including our pharmacists and physical therapists uh, and, and athletic trainers uh, and, and all of our products uh, are effectively free agent referrers. You know, yes, we'll make in in network referrals based on our client's health plan, uh, but we are free uh, to make the referrals to the highest value providers at the highest value facilities. So perfectly in line with our clients as those self-funded entities and the ultimate pairs and perfectly aligned with the members in terms of driving best experience, best clinical outcomes at best value. And how many members do you have today? Uh, we've got a, a bit more than 11 million eligible members. Okay, which is the largest uh, in the country of anybody I've talked to for sure. You know, we've talked to Crossover that has a million. We've talked to uh, some others that have maybe three or four million, but um, this is by far the largest. When you contact employers, what is the savings that you've been able to show you can deliver uh, on their overall spend? Great question. Uh, we look at, at savings pretty particularly uh, with regards to our primary care and pharmacy products. Uh, when we look at the claims spend for members that don't use premise versus the claims spend for members that do use or are attributed to premise, uh, we're typically saving our clients anywhere between 25 and 30% gross savings. Okay. And the, the service suite that you're offering, I'm reading it's quite a large suite. It's 30 different products, but you've got pharmacy, primary care, obviously, occupational health, fitness, wellness, um, and uh, 28 others. I mean, you've got a lot to offer when somebody walks into your clinic. We do. I, you know, I think concept there is, is breadth of services drives uh, more efficient, effective care, better member experience, uh, and better clinical outcomes. You know, literally, someone can walk into one of our centers uh, or engage with our digital wellness center uh, and, and see their primary care physician, uh, pick up a prescription, uh, get their teeth clean with our dentists, get new glasses with our optometrists, uh, have a mental health visit with a clinical psychologist, work out with their athletic trainer, uh, and be out of the door in two and a half, three hours in an experience that would normally take six to eight weeks to schedule and several half days off of work in the community. And is your fee an everyday low price of a certain monthly amount to each employer? Or does it matter what suite of services they ask, ask for? Yeah, we customize every solution set for our clients. Uh, and, and so the price varies based on solution set. For example, a client might elect to have primary care and pharmacy and fitness uh, in, in their center. Another client might elect to have occupational health and physical therapy. Uh, and so based on the products that are delivered, based on that solution set, uh, really based the pricing off of that. What, for what reason would an employer tell you no? That's a great question. A uh, couple reasons come to mind. Uh, one is inertia, uh, you know, kind of fear of change, uh, fear of evolving from a status quo. Uh, you have you use the word, I think, digs. Uh, you know, status quo healthcare has been around for decades. Uh, and it is, it is change. It, it is you know, somewhat of a decision risk uh, to evolve into a direct healthcare model. Um, you know, two is is corporate culture, um, and, and quite honestly, many organizations that are kind of progressive and looking to really control their costs with when it comes to healthcare spend uh, aggressively look for solutions like ours. Other organizations that have not yet prioritized corralling that spend. Uh, may not prioritize uh, the search for a, a direct healthcare solution. 
So do you have to pay advisors a fee for them to refer to you or do you not pay anything to those guys? Um, when you say the word advisor, are you talking about brokers, consultants? Benefits. benefits advice? Yeah, benefit yeah. advisor and brokerage consultants. I, they're not going to send them your way if they're going to lose their book of business to United Health. Yeah, great, great question. Um, very rarely uh, do we have arrangements uh, where um, you know, kind of a, a fee like you're suggesting exists. And, and if it exists, we are transparent with the clients, transparent with the prospects around the existence of that fee. But quite honestly, our, our preferred approach is, is an independent approach. Uh, many of the national consultants and brokers um, feel that their role is one of an independent advisor, uh, not to be influenced uh, by those fees. And, and so uh, work with those advisors uh, from a value-based perspective and a value proposition communication perspective, but not necessarily paying them at all for, for referrals, if, if that's what you're suggesting. So at the top of the show, I talked about utilization and over-testing. Do you have any data the, with your company where premises reduced outpatient visits and admissions to hospitals, reduced pharmacy spend, reduced um, uh, emergency room visits, reduced uh, uh, labs? Do you have any of those numbers that you tout when you're selling or you know, providing information about your company? Absolutely. Uh, at a high level, you know, kind of where last book of business analysis landed uh, was a 50% reduction in inpatient admissions, a 35% reduction in specialty visits, uh, and an 11% reduction in outpatient services. And what about pharmacy spent? Uh, I have to get back to you on that one specifically. I don't have it at, at my fingertips right now. Uh, we do have specific case studies, but I'm not seeing a book of business study at this moment. Do you, do you have uh, do you work through PBMs or do you have your own pharmacy that you own or I mean y'all are large enough I guess to control the whatever you want to control in that arena? We are PBM agnostic. Uh, we do have a strategic relationship with Walgreens uh, to execute our clinical pharmacy model uh, in that full pharmacy environment, uh, but uh, do not own a PBM uh, and and are working with all the major PBMs at this point. So for some reason, the direct primary care movement doesn't include you and the likes of crossover in their count, in their headcount. They say there's only half a million patients that are uh, involved with direct primary care. And here you are at 11 million, you know, with 800 centers. Um, are you affiliated in any way with the DPC movement or do you consider that, you know, I'm not going to say beneath you, that's not the right way to say it, but that's, do y'all kind of not, in, are y'all not involved with the DPC movement? Yeah, great question. I would love to think that we're the leaders of the, of the DPC movement, given our size and, and scale and, and presence. You know, that said, um, you know, we're a large organization, uh, and many of the DP, DPC providers, neither rightly nor, nor wrongly, think uh, independence is a critical component of, of the DPC movement. And so I think we see a, a lot of independent physicians uh, in that DPC movement, you know, calling that the, the pure DPC movement, whereas an organization, the size and scale of premise with almost 5,000 providers, um, you know, kind of not necessarily pure DPC, if that makes sense. Yeah, but that's all linguistics. Y'all y'all are a direct primary care provider by your very nature. Yeah. I mean, it's just almost hilarious. Um, is, do you have any sense, Jamie, on how large the direct primary care movement is, including you and Paladina and Nextera in Colorado and others that are doing more, you know, employer-based uh, DPC model versus independent uh, you know, moms and pops? Uh, I haven't seen any hard numbers, uh, but if, if pressed to guess, you know, inclusive of our 11 million, you know, probably edging up on 15 or 15 plus. 
uh, million eligible members. That's so funny. That's exactly what I'm estimating, something like that too. So do you have a long list of doctors trying to get in to work with you? Uh, we, we are hyper-competitive uh, when it comes to recruiting providers. I think we provide a, a level of professional satisfaction in, in the model, which of course is a value-based model, not a volume-driven model, uh, where, where physicians and advanced practice providers can really practice medicine the way they wanted to practice medicine when they first uh, became you know, clinical providers uh, you know, on day one. Uh, and, and so we do see professional satisfaction um, skyrocket when, when those providers transition from a traditional fee-for-service community-based model into our model. And I'm imagining you have almost zero turnover, that nobody would want to leave once they get into this, because not only are they not forced to do referrals, their hours are fair. I mean, they certainly can be texted within certain, you know, certain timeframes, but um, they don't have to see 21 patients a day. What are they seeing, five, six, seven patients a day, maybe? A uh, range of patients they see varies you know, quite widely depending on the solution at that center or, or whether they're in an exclusively digital environment. Um, you know, we, we actually accidentally have become one of the largest digital providers in the country, uh, kind of a silver lining of, of COVID for, for us. Uh, but in general, our provider turnover is, is materially lower than the national average. You're correct. Yeah. I would imagine because the, the list of benefits is just endless. I mean, it's uh, they're not forced into any of the pressures or lost autonomy that they'll find when they work for a big. So are you finding your doctors mostly and your providers mostly from uh, big systems? Are you finding them from independents that are just tired of the, the grind? How, how are you picking up these, these uh, providers? Yeah, you know, I think a, a bit of both. A vast majority of our providers are recruited from the local environments of those local uh, MSAs or geographies where, where our clients are, where those centers are, if we're recruiting locally. Uh, and, and then whether they come from an independent practice or, or a small group practice, or they come from a, a large health system or a regional health system, uh, you know, largely depends on the prevalence and, and potential dominance of those health systems in those geographies. And uh, if they've taken an acquisitive approach to primary care or more of a, a partnership or hands-off to primary care in those geographies. So, so every one of those 11 million that came to your model left the traditional legacy model, which is working for one of the bukas or working paying one of the bukas. Are the bukas upset about what you're doing? And I'm imagining the big hospital systems too, or because they're seeing less heads in beds. Uh, so great question. So premise is not insurance. Uh, so we don't act as a direct replacement for a traditional health plan. We act as kind of a, an adjuvant or an additional option uh, that delivers care differently. Uh, and, and obviously we think it's a better outcome. Uh, so we are considered kind of in network with the BUCAs. So we're not necessarily uh, stealing per se uh, members from traditional health plans. We're just delivering care differently to different results. Well, yeah, but if I, if I have, let's say a uh, cold and I want to call my doctor, I just text my premise doctor mm -hmm. I don't have to go through an insurance company and pay a copay and deductible uh, and none of that nonsense. Correct. So I, I'm really actually not dealing with the bukas at all. I'm dealing directly through y'all. Uh, good, good question. You know, so most of, uh, fair, uh, most of our clients are obviously self-funded. If not all of our clients are self-funded. So they leverage the, the bukas for the network and the ASL services or the TPA administrative services. Were those TPAs uh, or the ASOs get paid on a per claims basis, you're correct. We're reducing claims volume 
uh, and, and driving down revenue of, of those administrative services. Where TPAs get paid on a cap data basis or a PMPM basis, uh, we don't have necessarily an impact on their revenue stream. So what is your greatest opportunity ahead of you, you think? Is it just like smooth sailing and you're going to be able to kind of like butter slice through the, uh, <laughs> through the customers? And once you tell them you're offering, they're going, of course I need you. <laughs> I would suggest nothing in U.S. healthcare is smooth sailing, Ron. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, certainly, you know, battling misaligned incentives, battling the status quo, uh, battling awareness, um, you know, battling complexity of of the system and, and this nature of the beast. So, no, I would not suggest it's smooth sailing. Uh, I would, however, suggest that the macro trends or the tailwinds associated with our industry. Um, not just with premise, but our industry broadly, which has shown differentiated results relative to community and local regional health systems are strong. Uh, and we do see demand for our, our solutions picking up, uh, particularly in, in a COVID or a pandemic environment when access to traditional healthcare was, was next to impossible to come by. Of course. You're the remedy to complexity. You're the remedy to complexity. You're the remedy to all of the things you just mentioned. You, If you want to avoid all of the... Um, overly complex, you know, puzzlement, it goes, you just go with a, a simple payment every month. You go see the doctor when you need to, you go get your occupational health if you need it. You go see, you know, get your mental health if you need it. So what are some services you'll be adding uh, in the future that make sense? Yeah, so, you know, certainly silver lining to COVID has been our, our digital footprint, our digital approach. Um, we made the, the decision a couple of years ago to invest heavily in, in digital uh, in three ways. One is digital access to our local providers, so those familiar trusted providers. Uh, and we saw that demand and that engagement skyrocket in, in COVID. Uh, commitment to connectivity. Uh, so we're now connected to thousands of devices, both fitness, wellness, and clinical devices um, to facilitate remote patient monitoring and really that kind of in-between engagement and approach to holistic continuous care. And then we also invested in, in a dedicated digital physician team uh, to serve primary care, behavioral health, and occupational health needs. So, Is your company so privately owned? It is privately owned. Uh, we're currently owned by uh, OMERS, a uh, Toronto-based global pension fund. Okay, wonderful. So you're not private equity? You don't have the pressures of a big system or private equity owning you or any of that? Yeah, great question. One of the benefits of being owned by a, a pension fund is, is they can be a long holder and, and they've got kind of uh, no LPs, no fund dynamics, and can make asset-specific decisions. So we've been very fortunate to allocate, you know, say 10 to 15% of our strategic resources against a 30-year vision, uh, which been, has been a ton of fun to think about and a, a ton of fun to execute on because of that owner's ownership. Is the model similar to Paladina's? How, how are y'all different from your competitor? Yeah, I'd, I'd say several ways. Uh, one, a breadth depth of, of products and services, uh, you know, two, two size and scale. Um, but in general, uh, we do see, you know, what is now Everside, uh, used to be Paladina, it used to be Modern Med, my company, uh, as, you know, direct competitors. Uh, but we just, we see the, the pie and the opportunity as, as being um, large enough to certainly support uh, even more competitors in the space. Uh, we're just that bullish. Are there any employers that are too small for you? You won't talk to them if they're under, say, 100 or 500? Great question. Um, in our traditional kind of dedicated on-site, dedicated near-site or exclusive near-site, exclusive on-site model, uh, we're typically targeting uh, 1,000 belly buttons or more. 
to have access to that physical wellness center. For our shared near sites, we can go a little bit lower than that uh, thousand belly button threshold, uh, but it is product dependent. For example, uh, we do go as low as, as say 200, 250 for uh, intense occupational health solutions. Um, at the same time, fitness doesn't quite make a ton of sense unless you've got about 2,500 belly buttons or so on a specific, in a specific building or a specific campus. So a little bit of product variation, but in general, we point folks to the thousand belly buttons. And I, I do specifically say belly buttons because that is inclusive of employees and dependents that might have access to that center. Yeah, they might have 700 employees, but with spouses and children, Correct. another 300. That's right. You bet. Okay. All right. Well, um, how do people reach you if they want to come apply for a job with you? Yeah, premisehealth.com. We've got a career section. Always, always open to bringing on great talent. Uh, we are uh, heavily focused on culture, as you might imagine. Uh, it's all about the team, all about the people uh, that delivers that care to members and service to clients. So uh, always hiring. All right. And my favorite end of the interview question is the stumpers. What if you could fly a banner over America, would it say? Follow the incentives. Okay. Very good. Well, Jamie, thank you very much. I can't wait to have you on the show when you're at 20,000, I'm sorry, 20 million, because it's seems like you're an unstoppable train. I'm very excited to have talked to you today. And it's always amazing to speak to a national thought leader. So thanks. Thanks for your time today. Great, Ron. Thanks for your time as well. And appreciate the time. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.